Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. This is the time of our service where we now go online. Uh, so if you're watching from home, welcome to Southside. It's great to be meeting with you. We, we hope that we might uh, get to see you again soon. Uh, but this is also where we'll open up our Bibles together. We're going to be reading this morning from Malachi chapter 3, uh, starting from verse 6. This is not quite where we're up to in the series, um, but uh, we have uh, Ryan who's sick uh, this week. Um, so Ross is going to be preaching this morning uh, from Malachi 3. Uh, chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles there, please read along with us. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen as well. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Thanks. Good morning, my name's Ross. If we haven't met, it's so good to be with each other this morning. And um, like Sam alluded to, with so much uh, sickness, colds and stuff going around, as well as um, the, the COVID, who's talked to who or who's been where somebody else has been, is very different for us this morning. Uh, one of those things is, yeah, Ryan was going to be preaching on the passage earlier. He's, God willing, coming back next week to do that if you're following the series. Uh, But we are up to an interesting passage where God is calling his people again to draw near to him and we want to be on that journey too. So how about we pray that God will speak to us this morning. Dear Father God, thank you for just being that loving God, that in our brokenness, in our messiness, that you're always there. You have your arms open us, open to us, welcoming us to come to you. But Lord, there are things that are stopping us from coming to you, other lovers or other things we chase and desire. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning so, so we can remove those things, be aware of those things, so we can truly enjoy uh, being with you, near you, as our Father God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We are in the book of Malachi, and Malachi is about drawing near to God and God's invitation. And Malachi is already Malachi the prophet, so he's talking to Israel some 450 years before Jesus. He is uh, addressing the things that are holding people back from him. And he's already talked about how we lack respect for God how we're not treating our wives right or our marriages right, so we think we can be a good worshipper but not not good relationally. Uh, but there's also this money thing, money that uh, is, is in our white road as well. Now, I kind of want to apologise to anybody new here today that we don't always bang on about money, but we do follow the scripture. We do, if the, if the Bible talks about it, we want to talk about it. And this is one of those Sundays where we do need to talk about our finances. But it's one of those tensions, isn't it? There's, there's this one context where we're happy to talk about church and what goes on in church and another context where we're happy to talk about money and uh, how money works and, and how we spend it. But you bring the two together and all of a sudden it becomes really awkward. I know it. Even as a pastor, I know it. All of a sudden brick walls go up, a real sense of scepticism, cynicism. And I, I think it's kind of right and good to have a healthy scepticism when churches start talking about money. One of the reasons churches do it badly. And uh, this guy, Kenneth Copeland, is currently, he pulls the two together. At the moment, one of the latest snake oil schemes that he's got is make a good donation and I will take your coronavirus. Put your hand up to the screen and I'll take it from you. He's a big one on uh, the selling the schemes of um, seed money. You know, give me 10 bucks and God will give you 100. Actually, give me 100 and God will give you 1,000. Yeah, give me all your money and God will bless you through that with prosperity. When it comes to church and money, we should be skeptical. And for that reason, and I know my own heart in this, I invite you to have a healthy skepticism on what we're talking about this morning. That is Ross being true to God's word? Is this what God is saying to his people? Have a think about it. Pull it apart. But I also want you to have a healthy scepticism about your own hearts because it's our own hearts that often get defensive and we don't want to recognise actually we do need to be spoken to. We do need God to engage us in this area. So judge me. Am I true to God's word? But judge our own hearts as well. Is this a message that I need to hear? I want to tell you I need to hear it. I need to tell you that our elders need to hear it. Our committee management who look after our finances need to hear it. All of us need to hear it. None of us is exempt for uh, engaging with God. It's a heart issue, but how that plays out with what we do with our finances, our stuff. It's very important for us. So what has drawing near to God got to do with how I use my money? That's the question. What's money got to do with me, my spiritual journey with him? God's going to unpack that. You might have noticed if you've been with us on this journey through Malachi so far, there is this relationship that God establishes with his people. And that is God is a a ruler God and he wants to engage with his people, his children. And we have this image up every week, John F. Kennedy back in the 60s, where he is... um, He's the most powerful man in America, one of the most powerful countries in the world at that time. He's sitting at his business desk. This is where all the big decisions are made. This is the the president, but yet he's got his kids at his feet. He's also a family man. And that's the image God is saying, I'm ruler, I'm creator. I'm the one and only true God, but yet I'm a family guy. I want the relationship with my children. 
So when it comes to a passage where God wants to talk to his children on money, where is he going to go? Straight for the juggler, straight for the wallet? No. He wants to establish the relationship. It's not about money. It's a heart issue. It's not about the budget. It's about having the most important relationship in the world is your relationship with God. You know, God, the, the most important thing that he cares about is his relationship with you. The other stuff are issues. They're symptoms of the health of our relationship with him. So that's what he's pursuing. And we can see this in the opening verses of what we had read. This is God, the Father, talking to his children. I, the Lord, don't change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. If you're here a few weeks ago, we talked about Jacob. Jacob's like their great, 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 great grandfather who uh, sort of the, the one of their fathers of the nation, and how, how much of a ratbag he was. He was cheating, lying, deceiving. He was unworthy of anything, but yet God called him. God chose to love him. God steered him in that journey. And God's saying, look, you come from the, the, your ratbag great-great-great-great-grandfather, and in fact, the whole nation, the generation after generation, has had their failings. They've all messed up. They've all been disobedient to me. None of them have taken me seriously. But guess what? I'm still here. I'm still here. I still want a relationship with you. My arms are still open wide. I do want you to draw near to me. So this is the Father God with that invitation to reaching out. This is the most important relationship in the world is God's relationship with you. So we have this Father God figure. But he's also the God, the ruler of the universe. And we've got to hold those two things together. So then he goes on to say, and this is the discussion. But you ask, how will we return? God says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. It's like, you're robbing God. God, the one you meant to have a relationship with. I remember as a kid uh, seeing my dad's wallet, my old man's wallet, and I remember looking at it going, man, see how fat it is? I can see all the notes. When I was a kid, I thought my dad was the richest man in the world because I could see all the notes. I lived in a time where we had one and two dollar notes, by the way. So he might have only had 10 bucks in his wallet, but gee, as a kid, even 10 bucks was a lot of money. But it was like, I would never ever, to this day, never ever think of touching my old man's wallet. It was like taboo. It was out like that's crossing the line. It was very clear. I have so much respect and I, you know, a healthy uh, fear that I'm not going near that. And we can have that with, with somebody else's money, with our parents' money. But with God, somehow that all changes. As for Israel, they might have a healthy relationship with their, their, their father or respect their father's finances. But with God's finances... They have a, such a small view of God, no fear of him at all, that they're willing to take God on a ride with, his, with their money. So how's this playing out? Excuse me. This is playing out through their tithes and offerings. Now we need to just talk about what, what's the deal with tithes and offerings. Uh, it works off the principle where 
Everything belongs to God. God's a creator and sustainer of the universe. Nothing happens without his control. He owns everything, created everything, sustains everything. And what I have is God's gift to me. It's only out of his grace that I have what I have. Where's my pay packet? Where's my health? Where's the sunshine? It all comes from God. And therefore, what I do with it is my gift to God. I don't have to do stuff, but, but I want to be generous. God is generous to me. I want to be generous and give back to him. Now, this, this tithe is literally 10%. Uh, if you don't give 10%, you can't call it a tithe because tithe is 10%. And 10% thing is, it's not something the church come up with. It's not something invented for the temple. It, it's coming right from Genesis. Abraham was... Um, just following God. God called Abraham to follow me to a new country, a new land, and, and I'm going to look after you, trust me. And that's what happened. Abraham realises he's got all this, all these sheep and all these camels, got all these servants. Uh, he's, he's got so much stuff that God's been blessing him with. And then he meets a, a priest of God. And Abraham says, look, it only feels right for me to give you 10% of what I've got. God's been good to me. Let me be good to you. Be generous to you. So he gives uh, the priest 10% of what he's got. Um, Jacob, who was mentioned earlier, the rat bag, the lying, cheating guy, uh, he is trusting God on the journey. And God starts uh, opening up the way for him to give him land and possessions. And Jacob says, hey, this doesn't feel right. I'm just getting all this stuff. Can I thank you by giving you? And he promises to give God back 10%, a tithe. And that's even before the temple comes in when it was, when it was instituted that, that people should, this is good for us to do, to give back 10%. But then there's these offerings as well. Uh, people in those days were expected to, to make five different offerings throughout the year, uh, ranging from animals to, to grain to, to loaves of bread. They also had festivals. Say in Israel, the Jews, uh, they were the party nation. They had festivals all the time and they were expected to contribute to that. So the festival would work well. So the extra stuff would be, scholars have tried to estimate this, but around about another 10%. So it's they're giving a 10% tithe. This is my first and best, my income. And then another 10% into the workings of, their, uh, of living out a life following God. So they're giving something like 20% of their income. But it's kind of like, it hurts when you think about how much you give. But if you go into business and you need a business partner and the business partner says, look, I can bring in all the capital you need, all the finances. I can give you all the equipment. Actually, I'm going to give you all the customers. I'm going to give you, I'm going to do all the work. All you have to do is uh, take the takings. So you take the takings and at the end of the day, how are you going to split it with your business partner? He's providing everything, doing all the work. I mean, surely, you know. Should he have 60 and I have 40% since he's doing all the work? Should it be 50-50? He's doing all the work. God says, I'll tell you what, here's the deal. I'll give you all the takings, just give back 10% plus these other bits, even if you said 20% to, to the working of the business. 20, I get to keep 80%, 90% for myself. But yeah, he only takes that. Only takes 10 or 20. But what happens when the business partner finds out that you've been cheating him. You've been ripping him off. He's not getting his 20%. He's not even getting his 10%. He's find out if that happened, they'd say, you're a cheat, you're a liar, you're greedy. You know, keeping 
over 90% for yourself. And it's, it's a level of the relationship where this is at. God's saying, you don't trust me, you're cheating me. You're not being dishonest. You don't have a healthy, review, a healthy view or understanding of me. So you're holding back. That's not a business. This is not how it works. And this is the reason. He says you're cursed. Because you don't trust me. You don't respect me. You don't have a high view of me. You have a low view of me. And you're far from God. That's why he's saying draw near. Because you guys are so far from God. That's where Israel, his people, are at. They can say they value God. But their actions are showing something very different. Where's your money going? Because that's going to show me what you do value, what you do prioritise, and it's not me, God's saying. You couldn't be further. What does God want them to do about it? How's God suggesting they fix up their situation? He goes on and he talks about a promise and a principle. And this is where I want to say right from the get-go, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this verse because it is one of the most misunderstood verses in churches today. Just read and see, see, see what you think's going on from verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So bring in your income, bring in your money, your tithing and your offerings. Bring it all in, put it in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. Now there's one way to read this. There's two ways to read this. The one way, which I'm going to say is, not the right way, It is to say that this promise is for those people and for all people, for Israel back then and for us, as opposed to a specific promise to a specific people. So if this promise is for all people for all time, what that means is if we give more to God, we get. If we give more, fill up the storehouses, God's going to bless us. He's not going to hold back. He's going to make us so prosperous, so wealthy, we won't know what to do with. It's called the prosperity gospel because it, it's a gospel of promise of you will be so wealthy by, by, by what you give to God. You do a deal with God like that. The what, reasons why I don't think that's a good way of reading it, it's actually a very unhelpful way of reading it, is God's, I've got three 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 things to, to, to help us to teach us to read the Bible. The first one is God's promises aren't always for everyone. Sorry. God's promises aren't always for everyone. So God says to Moses, grab a staff. Grab a staff, throw it on the ground, and it'll turn into a, st- a s- snake, I promise. Grab your staff, dip it in the river, and the river will turn to blood, I promise. Grab your staff, hold it up over the sea, and I will part the sea so you can walk through it. I promise. I've tried it. And I can say either God has lost his power or I'm not Moses. And I know which one's true. I'm not Moses. The promise was made to Moses. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, go and walk on the water. Peter goes and walks on the water. Did any of the other disciples get to walk on water? That'd be fun. But no, it was just for Peter. Jesus goes, to some sick people, you will be healed. Promise. But he doesn't do it to everyone. Some people he doesn't heal. 
Do we, does everybody, could, should we expect to be healed today? No. Jesus promised to specific people at a specific time they would be healed. So God's promises aren't always for everybody in all time. They're for specific people at a specific time. The other thing is, is God's invitation to test me. Because throughout all Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God's always saying, don't test me. Don't test God. Makes it very clear. But in this case, he invites. Test me. Test me in this. So, so the argument it is, is, yeah, all the other things that are going on, don't test God. But when it comes to your finances, God's inviting you to test him. To test him. But actually, the logic works the other way around. It's actually, because God only says it once to these people, it's only a specific promise to these people. If this promise was for all people for all time and we should test him, wouldn't Jesus be walking around going, what are you guys doing in poverty? Why are you so poor? Just give some more money. The poor widow who gives her, her last copper coin, puts it into the plate and Jesus points her out and says that she's a good role model for her generosity. She's a good role model that, that she's blessed by God. He never says, don't worry about her. She'll have heaps of finances. When she gets home, her bank balance is going to be so full. He doesn't say that. But in her poverty, she's blessed. Test me. It's for these people. It's not for all people. Uh, the third thing is it's what you the best way to understand Scripture is to look at other parts of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. And we look for consistency. And it's consistent that, that God never promises to um, make everybody healthy and wealthy and prosperous. That's not his agenda. His agenda is to establish the most important relationship in the world between you and him. That's his agenda. It's interesting that Jesus, Jesus starts preaching this sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Where he's got lots of people sitting up on the hill listening to him. There's rich and poor. And you can pick them out. There's the poor people. They're in their dirty clothes. They're sitting on the hill, on the grass, in the sun. And there's the wealthy people. You can imagine they're on their rugs. They're well-dressed. They've got their hat on, their sunnies on. And the poor people go... They're looking around, you go, well, you can tell who's blessed. You can tell who God has favoured in this crowd because you can see who the rich people are. But then Jesus comes out and says, blessed, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor people go, no, no, they're the ones that are blessed because they've got all the wealth. He's going, no, 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 you've got the kingdom of God. That's your treasure. That's your possession. You have that. If he said, blessed are the poor because they're going to have a full bank balance when they get home, that's different. But he's not saying that at all. God blesses the poor because they have the kingdom of God. They have treasures in heaven and eternal life. So if God is making this promise just to a specific people at a specific time, why does he only do it to them and why doesn't he do it to everybody? And we get this from the context of Malachi. God is at a point where he's reaching out his arms to his people and he says, come to me, trust me, respect me. I'm your loving father God. And he's inviting them. It's almost like dads at Christmas time. Dads love to spoil their kids at Christmas. They love seeing the happy faces when they open presents. God's saying, I want to I shower down you know, as much food as you can eat, as much, as much wealth and prosperity, and I want to bless you as my people. 
but not if you don't respect me. Not if you don't appreciate me as a father God and my generosity to you. This is a hard issue. You need to relate to me. You need to come near me. You need to engage the heart. It's not about how much or what percentage. It's a heart issue. They need to draw near to God. God's saying, I'm a big God. I know it hurts when you give, but you can give and, and I'll be with you in that. I'm the God of the universe. I can supply your needs. He can provide for them. This is the lesson for them at that time, even in matters of money. Like you said last week that we read, even in matters of your marriage. And the week before, matters of honouring him. It's a heart issue. It's a relationship issue. He's a big God. Come near and trust in him. Now, there's principles here. This is the promise for those people. But what do we take away from that if God's uh, inviting them into this journey? What does it mean for us sitting here today? There's principles that go on that is consistent throughout the Old and New Testament. And I just want to bring out three for us today uh, just to think about how we should think about our giving. And the first point is God is generous to us. God is a generous God. We often look at Israel. We often look at prosperity and things like that. But God is a creator of the universe. Without God, we wouldn't be here. God was involved in us, in our lives, even when we were in the womb, as we were growing and being shaped. God knew us. That even in our life, when we were rebels and we, we didn't listen to God and we've done the wrong thing, God's reached out to us by sending his son Jesus into our life. He not only sent Jesus into our world, the messy world of rebels, to, to show us that, that God's love is real, that he wants to reach out to us, but to show us how the depth of that love, when Jesus takes the death of our mess, takes the death that our sin deserves. The Bible talks about Jesus, who was rich, made himself poor so we could become rich. It's not talking about money. It's talking about righteousness. Jesus gave up all his righteousness to take on our sin. So us sinners could be made righteous, to be rich in him, rich in righteousness. God has reached us. And not only does he turn our life around, that's not enough. No, no, let me give you my spirit. So he gives his spirit into our lives. That's, there's more. Let me draw near to you. Let me guide you and be on the journey of life as we walk towards eternity. Yes, I've got heaven waiting for you. We're going to be with me forever for a long, long time, eternity. You can't say God's not generous to us. We don't deserve any of that. But that's what he's offering to us. God is a generous God. Secondly, our giving is a reflection of our hearts. Now, here's a problem. We're a bit uncomfortable saying that because we don't like to talk about our giving. But our giving is a reflection of our hearts. We saw it with Israel. Their giving didn't reflect any respect from God and any respect for God. And he's going, that's a heart problem. But for us, there's two questions. Yeah, okay, I get that. But, but what is enough? Where's that line in the sand? What is being generous? How much do I have to give to show God that he's truly worthy and a priority and I value him in my life? How much? Does the tithe still work for us today? Should we be doing that? Now, it's a heart issue. We've always said it's a heart issue. So what happens is Jesus comes along in the New Testament, tithes are most talked about when Jesus is paying out a group of people, the religious people called the Pharisees, about their tithing because they are tithing. But he says, you're tithing, you're giving, you're doing the works, but you've got no faith. 
They tithe their income. They tithe their pantry. They tithe what's in their garden. 10%. Look, God, look how good we are. We're doing it. You should be pleased with us. But the problem Jesus has with that is he got no faith. There's no relationship in what you're doing. So he's telling them they're wasting their time. So it's like, whew, we don't have to tithe. In the New Testament, it sort of takes the pressure off. But then James, later on in the New Testament, James, Jesus' brother, says, faith without works is dead. So he's pointing the finger at all the New Testament believers, going, you say you have faith, but you've got no works. And he talks about giving and being generous as one of the works that believers should do. So here we have the Pharisees who are being legalistic. I give 10%, I'm worthy. He goes, no, you're not. You might give 10% because you're a legalist, but you've got no faith. You've got no relationship with God. But James is saying, well, actually, you guys are being legalists as well. You're saying, hey, I don't have to tithe. I don't have to give 10%. This is all cool. And he's going, no, you're being legalistic about standing on that principle, but you've got no works. You should be more generous than the Pharisees, if you appreciate what Jesus has done for you. So he's saying, you need to be generous and even more generous. Pharisees doing the tithe, but no relationship. James saying, you, got, you say you've got faith, but you've got no works. So you're dead. You're dead as well. So how should we understand the New Testament's idea of giving and generosity? It's talked mostly about in, uh, if you want a couple of chapters to read and reflect on, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Uh, that's a good, good passage to just sit on and think about. But in that passage, Paul talks about the Macedonian church who was giving to the, to the aid of other churches. And the Macedonian church, he said, they're going through a hard time. They're going through trials, extreme poverty, yet they gave above, beyond their means. He says, I don't know how they did it. They didn't, they only had the capacity to give this much, but they gave this much. That's generous. And we go, well, how much did they give? Give us a dollar amount. What was the percentage? What was their percentage that they were called generous? We're not told. It's just this principle again, everything belongs to God. What I have is God's gift to me. What I do with it is my gift to God. That's a response. What's God doing in your life? How's your relationship with him? Do you have a big God or a small God? Are you cheating him, robbing him, or are you giving him honour that's due to him? It's that principle. Our giving is a reflection of our hearts. See, we, we make lots of excuses not to contribute, not to give. Yeah, I'm on not much of an income. I've got lots of bills this month. They're coming out of my ears. I'll wait I'll wait to get my career up and running and then I'll give the big bucks. I don't have to do it now. I know all excuses because I've given them before as well. I've said them all. Come into this building. Oh, I don't have to give. this. These guys are rolling in money if they can do this. They, it gives that impression. Or when no one is watching. No one's keeping me accountable. Nobody's asking about my giving. We do this thing normally, we're not doing it because of COVID, but where we pass the bucket around. And what happens is uh, we ask people to consider their giving because that's what we do as a worshipper of God. So we're happy to, to sing praises to him, we pray to him, uh, we hear from his word and giving is a part of who we are as, as his children. So we pass the bucket around. Now, 
in the process, whether you do electronic giving or cash giving, it's, like, it's the process of holding the bucket. How am I going in this area of life? Am I giving back to God? Am I giving him the honour? Am I drawing near to him even with my money? And even if you do electronic banking, you should be thinking of that and considering it and passing it on. But the problem we have is because most of our giving comes through electronic, the bucket gets passed and it's like, well, should I be giving? Well, nobody else is giving, so I can just pass it on and nobody even knows what I'm doing because nobody knows. We don't have held accountable. It's funny, we, when people are missing from church, we, we like to encourage them. And say, I haven't seen you for a while. You know, are you right to come back to church? Uh, encourage people to go to growth group. Encourage people in their prayer or Bible reading. We encourage people in all those things, but we don't talk about giving. Nobody knows our priorities when it comes to giving and our money. It's like, should we show our bank statements to each other? What are our priorities? Because that's what God is saying. It's not about the cash dollar. I just want to know where your heart is. And if I look at your bank statement, I'll know if it's where you're spending your money. But we can hide it. We can hide it and nobody keeps us accountable. But our giving is a reflection of our hearts and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. Fourth, uh, thirdly, we need to teach our hearts. Now, this is interesting because sometimes we go, well, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling generous, so I'm not. My heart's not in that position yet, so I'm not going to do it. But so much of our spiritual life is about actually teaching our heart where we want it to go. So we train our eyes not to lust after other people. And our hearts, we don't teach our hearts that. If I wait until my heart stops lusting to train my eyes, it won't work. I need to train my eyes. I don't train my hands to start serving. My heart says, I don't want to serve. I don't want to give up my time. But I'm going to go, no, I'm going to sign up for that. I'm going to serve others. And all of a sudden my heart says, hey, this, this is all right. I'm comfortable with this. Same with our money. I'm going to start giving and I know it's going to hurt. My heart says, oh, I don't do it. But then it goes, oh, no, actually, I get it. My heart gets it. Sometimes we need to teach our hearts what priorities we should be holding to. This is how Jesus explained it. Because I know this is sort of kind of a new concept to many of us. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We want to say, oh, when my heart is set on heaven, you know, I'm going to be living for heaven. I'm going to be given to him. I'm going to be, my conversations will be here. But, but I need to be led by my heart. And if that's right, Jesus would say, for where your heart is, therefore, there your treasures will be also. But he doesn't. He says, where your treasure is, I'm going to look at how you're using your time. I'm going to look at your bank balance, uh, your bank statements. I'm going to look at all that stuff. Because where I see your treasure is, there I can see where your heart is. It's almost like we need to train our heart. We're going to set, set our heart on things that we know are right. Now, I know how this works out. I know if, I, uh, if I'm giving to the church, just putting it in real terms, if I'm giving into the church, I don't want my church to be wasting my money. I want to see them. I want to see stuff where stuff goes. I want to see the mission being done. I want to see stuff happening because I'm investing in it. But all of a sudden, the more I look into it, I go, oh, actually, the church is um, trying to do mission, but they need more help. But I, 
I want my buck to go further, so I'm, I need to get in and help them too. So all of a sudden, I've bought into the heavenly uh, priorities. So now I'm on the mission team, and now I'm inviting people because I want to see that go further. All of a sudden, you, you've, your heart's changed. It's like, I don't get into shares, but once upon a time, I, uh, you know, through promotion thing I got some shares in insurance company and I didn't care about shares but all of a sudden I got some shares now I've never looked at share prices before but then I was looking started looking at share prices going oh yeah what are my shares worth today this is pretty cool all of a sudden I want that insurance company I want that business to go better because the better they go the more the more my shares are worth so all of a sudden I'm starting to Tell my friends about, hey, oh, this insurance company's pretty cool. They're looking after me. They look after you too. All of a sudden, I've bought into the insurance company because I've got shares. It's the same with heaven. I'm investing in heaven. I want the, more people to be in heaven. I'm training my heart by putting my, firstly, putting my money there. We need to teach our hearts. Now, there's lots of good advice in, in how we do that. We need to plan and pray. I'm not going to say to you, today's the day you need to put a wad of money in the bucket. We need to plan and pray. We need to be consistent, but we need to start somewhere. We need to start somewhere. Now, there's good and new, bad news in this. The good and bad news. For us here as a church at Southside, we're not talking budgets. Not talking budgets at all. But it's interesting during hard times. In the last three or four months, COVID's hit, jobs have been lost, uh, hours have been cut back, people are doing it tougher. The good news is, and I don't know how this happened, but the good news is God's been working us. Our giving has gone up 20%. That's good. That, that we're not being held back. We're like the Macedonian church, even in hard times, improving our giving. But the bad news is, that even uh, if we average that out, for us as a church, it averages out $36 per person, uh, per adult, per week. Now, $36 per adult per week, that's after the 20% increase. Now, if we go anywhere near a tithing-type principle, anywhere near the generosity thing of 10%, that means we're all on 360 bucks a week. We're all on under 20 grand a year. That's how that would work out. And I know... We're not. Some are, but most of us aren't. Or we could look at it from a different angle. There's uh, about 50 people here that are on average wages who might be tithing 10%. That's one in four people uh, here might be tithing at 10%, would give that much, which means three in four adults aren't giving any at all. Nothing. Kind of doesn't matter which way you spin it, that's a concern. I'm not talking to you as your treasurer. I'm talking to you as your pastor. Are we robbing God? How we use our money? Have we got a heart issue? This is not a budget issue. This is a spiritual issue. Are we treating God like a joke? Or are we removing that other lover, that idol of money, so we can truly draw near to him? If we have a grip on our money and not willing to, to hand that over to him, that's a problem. We're not trusting him. But he is inviting us to draw near. He's not the God that's pushing us away and punishing us. But like to Israel, 
He is the Father God with his arms open. He is inviting us to draw near. He's just asking us to have the right heart and show it. Not just on the inside, but on the outside. That we be generous to him. I'm, I just want to make this clear. I'm not making any promises you're going to get wealthy out of this. There's no promise of throwing you 10 bucks and you'll get 100. I'm not doing that. I'm not even going to say it's easy. I'm not even going to say you won't be tempted in this every week to hold some back. Because we do. That's the world we live in. But I can say it does set your heart on eternity and the kingdom. It does force you to trust in him with your finances when you give generously. And you will see amazing things that God provides for us in different ways. And it's a big lesson that we can depend on him because he is a big God. He's a father God who loves us. I want you to ponder that this week, in the weeks to come, that we want to be a generous person. Christians, Christians should be the most generous people in this world. They should see us. You know, that's, but they should know the reasons why. Not because of we want to be prosperous, but we want to draw near to our loving God and he's a generous God. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we thank you just again for showing us who you are, that you are so good to us, yet we give you the leftovers, we give you the scraps, we treat you as, as just something on the side of life and not a priority. Lord, help us. Help us to see you. Help us to draw near to you. We know our money doesn't buy you favour, but it certainly shows our heart that we desire to be with you. Lord, give us that sort of heart. Help us to be a church that's generous. Help us to be a church that's showing other people the kingdom through the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.